The Water Values Podcast, Session 52. Welcome to the Water Values Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to water utilities, resources, treatment, reuse, and all things water. Now here's your host, Dave McGibson. Hello and welcome to another session of the Water Values Podcast. As my son Joey said, I'm Dave McGimsey and thanks for joining me. Well, this is episode 52 and as we all know, there are 52 weeks in a year. And so we've we've put out now a full year's worth of podcast in only about 50 weeks uh, because we, we released uh, the first podcast on March 17th. We released three podcasts on March 17th, 2014. Uh, so Really looking forward to the next 52 episodes. Uh, thank you so much for joining me on this uh, little voyage we've had uh, on the Water Values Podcast. So greatly appreciate your support. And uh, I, again, I just I couldn't be happier with the response I've received uh, from all of you. Uh, when I was thinking about what to say in the open for this session, it took me a little longer than usual. Um, my guest today is Susan Latvala a former Pinellas County Commissioner and board member of Tampa Bay Water. I wanted to record this interview with her because of just my general awareness uh, with you know, the, the origins of Tampa Bay Water and the conflict uh, that, that was involved in it. Um, essentially, I, I expected the interview to be primarily about how to overcome differences and create workable solutions for multiple parties in a water utility setting. Well, that certainly occurred during the interview, but Susan took it a step further, and she relayed uh, some of the most important information to date on this podcast about utility leadership. I won't spoil it by telling it to you now. Listen on and be enriched by Susan's experience and her great stories about Tampa Bay water. With that said, let's get on with it. Open the valves, fasten your seatbelts, and here we go. Well, Susan... Thanks very much for coming on to the Water Values Podcast. Really appreciate your time. Uh, to start off, Susan, could you tell us a little about your background and how you got interested in water? Well, I just retired from 22 years of public service, um, eight years on the school board and 14 on the county commission. So that led me into the water uh, issues, being county commissioner, not, not the school board. Um, but Prior to being elected to the county commission, my former husband is a state senator, and he was instrumental in the formation of Tampa Bay Water, solving the problem, the crisis that our region was facing. So when I got elected, my colleagues immediately said, oh, you get to serve on Tampa Bay Water, uh, <laughs> thinking that, I guess, through osmosis, I, uh, I had been involved in all that. But it, it turned out to be a very, very positive experience and something I really enjoyed being a part of. Sure. So terrific. Now, if you could tell us a little about uh, – we'll get into the story of Tampa Bay Water, but can you, can you kind of lay the foundation for what the, the, the water landscape looked like from a political perspective uh, before Tampa Bay Water was formed? Sure. Um, water in the state of Florida is um, governed by the state. It's a resource of the state, not the local government. So um, permits for pumping groundwater or taking water off of a river or, or any other source have to come through uh, a state agency. And Pinellas County, and I'll, I'll talk about our region, it's a three-county region. Pinellas is my county. And we're a peninsula 
off the side of a peninsula, uh, very little water within our boundaries, groundwater or any other kind. So we were growing like crazy in the 80s, um, early 80s, up into the 90s, and ran out of water. So at, at the time, the county commissioners, and looking back, it was a very wise decision, and it was perfectly legal, that they went to the county north of us, which was very rural, bought 12,000 acres of land, ran a pipeline down to our connection point, and started sucking water out of that county. That worked well for many years until the weather changed a little bit. We had several years of low rainfall, and lakes started drying up. Um, rivers started drying up. People's private wells started drying up. And that county uh, <laughs> um, came after us. There were years and years of lawsuits, and then the county to the east of us got involved um, because a large city in our county had done the same thing in western Hillsborough County. So it, it became a very ugly situation, and nobody was winning but the lawyers. So the Pasco County Commissioners, that's the county north of us, uh, went to the legislature and said, you've got to help us. And the legislative delegation that represented both of those counties got together and figured out how to, how to solve the problem. That sounds very simple. It wasn't. It took well over a year, hours and hours and hours of meetings, um, lots of legal maneuvering, but Tampa Bay Water was created, and all six of the member governments ultimately signed off on it and decided to move forward, working together uh, to provide a safe, sustainable supply of water um, for our almost 2 million constituents moving forward. Okay, so so this was a legislative solution. Was it was it mandated that these six governments were were going to yes. be oh, formed? Yes. Okay, so yeah. so so the legislature passed a passed a bill and and said, you know these these governments we are we're forming this this entity and you're going to cooperate. So how 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 did those units of government all come together and start cooperating? I mean, what was the wasn't easy, as you can imagine. The board of directors of Tampa Bay Water is made up of two county commissioners from each of the counties and one elected official from each of the three cities. So then these people have to get together in a room once a month and perform the business of the agency. And there was some hostility um, for several years, but we were very fortunate to have the right people in public office at the right time in the right place. And for the most part, the people that came to that table knew that it was the right thing to do, and it was the only way that our region could continue to grow and, and thrive. And there were one or two exceptions, and you know they would come and go off the board. But for the most part, there were good people who understood the problem and understood that this was a great solution to it. Sure. So th there's the three counties, and they had each had two representatives, and the three cities. What are the three cities involved in Tampa Bay Water? They're, they're equal to the counties. They're just smaller units. They got involved, one of them, St. Petersburg, because they had done the same thing Pinellas County did, bought land in an adjoining county and ran a pipeline. Um, the city of Tampa 
gets their water from a river, and when the river isn't flowing very much, uh, they get in trouble. So they needed us as their backup source of supply. And then there's a small town in Newport Ritchie that had its own supply, uh, wells, and they were supplying all of their citizens and, and supplying a little bit outside the city. So everybody came to the table with their resources. Part of the interlocal agreement required us to sell our assets to Tampa Bay Water. So one of the first actions of Tampa Bay Water was to go out and bond some money uh, to pay these counties and cities for their uh, well, well fields. So that took some of the pressure off because a very large amount of money went to each one of these governments, which they used for years to um, mitigate their increasing uh, rates that they had to charge. Sure. But it was very interesting to have nine elected officials um, <laughs> from <laughs> six jurisdictions <laughs> sitting at the table together. When, when you said that the, the, these governments use the proceeds to, to mitigate rate impacts, is, is Tampa Bay Water a wholesale entity that is selling to these? Yes. Okay. Okay. So that makes yeah, they're, they're the wholesaler. They have six customers. Right. And they're required to provide whatever amount of water we need. Annually, we go each each member government goes to them and says, "We believe that we're going to have this percentage of growth and we'll need this number of million gallons of water for the coming year." Sure. And they're required to figure out how to provide it and have done that quite well. Right. And okay. So what we, I'm sorry, go ahead. What we had to do after we bought those sources, <clears throat> the main um, gist of the whole thing was to reduce groundwater pumping. We were causing serious environmental damage to meet the demands of our growing communities. So we had to find new supply, and Tampa Bay Water was charged with doing that. The first project they decided to do was a desalination plant, which sounds like a really good idea. It was a very sexy idea at the time. Everybody thought, well, let's, the answer to this is simple. We're on the water. You know, all this resource right here, let's build a desalination plant. Our needs were so great, though, that the kind of desalination plants that had been successful around the country didn't meet our needs. So we moved forward with building a 25 MGD, million gallon per day, desalination plant. Um, what had been done before in the Western Hemisphere. And the fun began. <laughs> the, origi <laughs> the original contractor <clears throat> uh, had a project in Asia that uh, was hit by, I think it was a typhoon, if my memory serves me correct, some sort of natural disaster. And it forced the company to go bankrupt. So right in the middle of building our desal plant, a contractor goes belly up. Oh, no. So we had to <laughs> – and, and, of course, the headlines were – you know, Tampa Bay water fails at blah, blah, blah. So we had to immediately go out, find another contractor, try and stay within the original budget, meet all those demands. And ultimately, it was built and it operates beautifully. But the perception to the public today is still that that desalination plant doesn't work. So it was a, it was a very interesting time. The contractor... But the second contractor took shortcuts to stay within the budget. 
we later had to go back and spend some more money to get it up to standards. So every project, and, and because of the size of them, I don't think that's uh, not typical uh, to have a project that size that you don't have some challenges with. But it was, um, it was not ever handled well by the press. We were never perceived as an agency doing good things in finding a way to build this sustainable water supply for our region. It was always those people at Tampa Bay Water have failed again. So that animosity uh, among the board kept, <laughs> kept things interesting as well. I, I bet. What do you think the root cause of, of that type of, uh, you know, of, of PR was? It's it's better. It's a better story to say that a government agency is uh, not doing what they're supposed to do, wasting taxpayer money. That's a much better story than to say, "Oh my goodness, this tragedy happened, and Tampa Bay Water has to regroup." And right, and yeah, so, it's, so a, it's nature of the press today. Sure, and so. You had a lot of challenges. You had the press against you. There were internal, there was internal strife. I mean, what what kind of lessons are you did you bring out of of all that chaos that was that was ongoing there? See, I, I think the the best lesson is to stay focused on what your mission is. We had a charge to supply water <laughs> to over two million people in, in a growing region, and when you have the right people at the table who are committed to that and the, and the right staff. And Tampa Bay Water has an incredibly talented, dedicated staff. When you have those things, you can get through whatever challenges come before you. And the, the challenges kept coming, we worked through them and moved on. Overall, probably two, maybe three board members over the course of 15 years were antagonistic. And, yeah, that's the nature of politics. Everybody runs for office and serves for different reasons. <laughs> and uh, these, these people, those two or three, weren't as focused on doing the right thing as they were on getting headlines. Right, right. But that was not, that, that was not the majority. And these people, and like myself, uh, I stayed on that board the entire time I was in office. And there were other members of the Tampa Bay Water Board who did the same. So they had the continuity, they had the experience, they understood what it was we were doing and the challenges that we faced and just kept plugging forward. Sure. One of the, one of the issues that I've encountered in, in my practice with uh, boards that have a political element to them are sometimes there are, there are people who just don't understand the water business and uh, can you talk about a little about how, you know, what you did to educate yourself on water issues coming onto the board? Because as as you indicated, people turned to you and just said, "Well, you know, your your husband at the time." You're it. Yeah, exactly. So, so how did how did you how did you get up to speed on water issues? Again, it was that incredible staff and the general manager of Tampa Bay Water was the most dedicated, committed person to the success of this organization of anybody I've ever seen. And he would spend whatever time it took uh, talking to me and to other board members, making sure we understood what we were doing. 
we went out to see the projects. We had data that would have buried us. <laughs> um, he was there, and I think we all had a, a strong confidence in his abilities, and that helps. Yeah, again, we have the right people in place at the right time, and we have the right staff, the right general manager, and for the most part, the right elected officials, and we just kept working together. One of the things that uh, I, I think is most important to say, and this happens so much with elected officials, we get elected and the staff, as well as the community, think that you're an expert on these things. Well, the average person who gets elected doesn't know anything about water except what their bill says and that you turn on the faucet and there it is. Um, I think it's really important for people to understand that staff have a responsibility to educate elected officials. And you have to, um, you have to do it in a respectful way. Uh, <laughs> uh, and I think that's a fear that a lot of staff members have. They think that they can't explain things on a level that the, that the commissioners or the city officials can understand without offending them. And I don't believe that to be true. If, if you do it in a respectful way, uh, I'm here to help you. This is a hard decision we face. Let me explain to you how we got here and what it means. Um, elected officials don't want to raise rates. We had to raise rates over and over and over again as new projects came online and we had to pay for them. Um, th that's very difficult for elected officials to do. It's They don't see it any different than raising a tax. And you really have to hold their hands and make sure they understand that this isn't a, a, an if, um, an, an iffy thing or a would like to have thing. This is a gotta have. We have to provide water to our, our citizens every day, and we have to pay to get it there, and we have to maintain the system. Um, that's a problem around our country today, where systems have not been maintained because elected officials didn't have the courage to raise the rates uh, enough to make that happen. So a staff that understands that it's their job to educate the elected officials. We're there to serve. Most everybody goes into office with good intentions and wants to do a good job. And they're faced with making decisions at a level that they've never had to do in their private life. Signing a um, bond for tens of millions of dollars. Most of us have never done that before. Uh, signing contracts, approving contracts to build a $200 million desalination plant. Um, uh, $275 million reservoir. Those are big, big projects that in your other elected life, you may never have anything of that magnitude. And staff and, and the elected officials somehow have to have a relationship where you can speak honestly and make sure that the elected officials have all the facts. Um, and that means going back to the beginning, whatever that is whether it's uh, you know something this magnitude or just on a regular basis, maintaining the utility uh, lines. There's costs involved and you have to upgrade and you have to make improvements and accidents happen. Um, you have to prepare them. Staff sometimes has to be increased. Staff has to be trained. 
and all of that takes money. And somehow you've got to be close enough to the county commissioners that they understand. And then when you come forward asking for an increase, they trust you and know that this has to happen. And that gives them the political courage to do what they need to do. You can't always win everybody over. Um, I, I have served on boards with people who under no circumstances were they gonna vote to increase anything. That's just their philosophy. That's why they think they got elected and they don't care that the system may be deteriorating. Um, you know, they won't be in office that long and that'll be somebody else's problem. But that's a minority. Most people want to do the right thing and they have to have the right tools that comes from your staff. Yeah. Susan, I think those are some incredible words of wisdom you've just, you've just imparted that, that, you know, as a board member, you've, you've got to be, you've got to work with your staff to really understand what's going on. And you're, you need to develop that relationship with staff so that you as a board member can understand the issues. And then you've got to have the political courage to raise rates. You know, I've, I've long been an advocate that rather than pushing off the rate increase and pushing off the rate increase for longer and longer periods of time, we should have, our utilities should have smaller, but more frequent increases. And I think there's a constant customer and voter education uh, that goes into that. So, of I, th- course. so I, I think that what, what you've kind of indicated there is just really uh, that's what, what both board members and staff need to hear and, and need uh, to, to really implement that kind of, of relationship building and trust building that, that you're kind of talking about here. Um, yeah. And it's not easy. Not easy. <laughs> right, right. Um, staff many times fears the elected official. Um, but, you know, we're just normal people that decided we wanted to do this crazy thing and serve our community. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and, and we need the staff, <laughs> we need the staff help to be successful. And the staff needs the elected officials for them to be successful. Utility directors, man, they want, they want to do the right thing. They want to have the best system in the country. Yeah. And how do you get there? Sure. And one of the other things that, that I wanted to make sure I asked you today was, uh, given that this utility was essentially serving six customers, was there was there any ever you know distrust or or how did you work around the issues of if one one entity was growing um, or or was going to use more water or was growing at a faster clip than any of the other entities? Was there any kind of jealousy about? capital improvements being made to, to serve that customer and shouldn't that, that customer that's growing, shouldn't they be paying more in the rate and, and kind of tinkering with the rate design there? We got past that through the interlocal agreement and um, it's we, we don't have time to go into all the, <laughs> the beautiful <laughs> language that, that the lawyers came up with. It is an airtight document pretty much. Okay. And it's online if people want to look at it at TampaBayWater.org. But that governance agreement says you pay for the amount you use. So if a particular county or city is using X, they pay X. Everybody has the same rate. And Pinellas County was the growing county at the time, and there was a little grumbling because we were paying more. Well, we were using more, is how I always explained it to them. Now, 15 years later, 
16 years later, um, they're actually, Pinellas County is not the biggest user. Hillsborough County has become the biggest user. So we can kind of sit back and feel that way, which I don't, but you can kind of sit back and gloat and say, well, okay, they're paying more of the debt than I am. But it's, I, just, I never thought of it that way. And the other two counties knew that their day was coming. Um, we were growing in the 90s. We're built out. So there's not going to be a lot of growth in our county. But their counties have still got thousands of acres of raw land. So they will be moving forward, growing, and, and using more water um, for years to come. But it, it, it was a little bit of a problem. But the way the governance uh, document was written, everybody agreed to it. Everybody signed it. You pay for what you use. Sure. And so real quick, how, how does that interlocal agreement, how does that interface with the the legislation that created Tampa Bay Water? So, it, um, The legislation said that we would do this. And then the lawyers <laughs> and uh, not the elected officials, but the lawyers and the staff from each of the member governments worked together for almost a year to come up with, the, with an agreement that everybody could sign off on. So the legislature is kind of out of it, except that they created it. They cannot destroy it. Um, the document is very clear about um, Tampa Bay water is an ongoing entity, and it is virtually impossible to, to um, destroy it or <laughs> break it down. The member governments can't leave. Um, if anybody agreed to that, the and it's spelled out in the uh, in the interlocal. Uh, if for some reason some one of them agreed, one of the member governments wanted out and had another source, and there's the big sticking point, where would they get their water? Um, our state is cutting back dramatically on groundwater pumping. So unless you had another source that Tampa Bay Water doesn't already own, where are you going to get your water? But if you do, if, if that did happen, you have to pay for whatever resource you buy from us. So it, it pretty much prevents that from ever happening. Um, took years for people to swallow that and really accept the fact that Tampa Bay Water is and, and is going to continue, just like our counties are. Sure. The counties aren't going away. They're government entities. This is a government agency, and it will continue to exist to serve the water needs of this region. Ter- terrific. Well, it's hard for people to understand. <laughs> uh, it's politics, right? Um, well, Susan, I just want to thank you very much. You've been absolutely fantastic today, walking us through the story of Tampa Bay Water, and I think you've really imparted uh, some terrific thoughts for both board members and staff of utilities. Uh, and I, I think that is just so important. I, I'm really glad you you put it the way you did, and you and you said it so eloquently. So I, I want to thank you for your time. Yeah. Uh, for those who want to find out a little more about you and Tampa Bay Water, where can they go to do that? Well, I'm out of office now, so I can be reached at slatvala at verizon.net. Or if you Google me, you've got 22 years of everything I've ever done or said publicly. <laughs> <laughs> um, Tampa Bay Water, 
Um, it's not all pretty either, so I'm, I'm not encouraging anybody <laughs> to do that. Um, Tampa Bay Water, their website is um, tampabaywater.org. And the interlocal agreement, as well as more information than you could ever want, is there. Okay. But the, the research, the data that board members use on a regular basis is there on the website. It's very interesting. Um, to follow what they're doing and how they operate. Terrific. Well, uh, Susan, again, thank you so much. Really appreciate your time, and we'll talk to you soon. Well, that was my interview with Susan Latvala. I hope you saw what I meant when I said she relayed some of the most important information to date on this podcast about utility leadership. She was she was absolutely terrific. Uh, now for the takeaways. The first and more, most important one is what I mentioned about utility leadership. If you only take one thing away from this podcast episode, I think this should be it. And that is utility board members and staff need to have an effective relationship for the utility to perform well. Susan's words were just so profound. You know, board members, you need to be open to relationship building with the staff. And the staff needs to be open to relationship building with board members. Uh, The communication that needs to take place between them will be the key factor and whether or not those relationships uh, are properly built and whether the utility is successful. You know, I've seen it both ways. I've seen great board members and great staffs work together, and the result's tremendous, a well-run utility. On the other hand, I've seen it not work out so well. Um, The key is that relationship building between the staff and the board members. Uh, If it's a strong foundation of trust between board and staff, The staff will have the courage to be honest with the board members about the needs of the utility, and the board members, likewise, will have the courage to do uh, what's best for the utility and community, even if it's politically unpopular or potentially so. Uh, The best case I've ever seen with this is where utility increased rates substantially, but the board education, board decision-making process, and public outreach campaign uh, tempered, for the most part, any negative response from the public. So you, know, so you board members out there, make sure you're approachable by utility staff. Be open to that relationship building. And staff members, make sure you communicate and relationship build with your board members. That's the key to creating a good utility that serves its mission of delivering safe, reliable drinking water to its customers. Or if you're on the wastewater side of collecting and safely treating wastewater and releasing clean effluent back into the environment. Well, I went on so long about that first takeaway. I promise I'll be brief on this next one. Uh, conflict. Uh, over water can be worked out. Um, You need to have level-headed people at the table that understand what the ultimate goal is. You heard Susan mention that even Tampa Bay Water occasionally had the board member that didn't understand the mission, didn't care about that mission, or was just ornery for being ornery's sake. You know, as water scarcity increases, we're increasingly uh, going to need to partner or reach agreements with our neighbors over water you know, we need to focus on the end game and avoid getting caught up in partisan disputes. Uh, you, know, you know, I'm not naive. I know that it's, it's more easily said than done, and I've been involved in plenty of those bitter disputes, but we need to keep trying to find that common ground and find solutions about water. I think that is going to be incredibly important over the, over the coming years. And I think we can, we can take a lesson from the, the first takeaway I had, is that's relationship build. You need to build relationships with the other communities around you so that when it comes time to talk about these difficult issues, you have a certain level of trust 
with those other communities. You're not starting from scratch on a really difficult issue. So, so you know, you utilities out there, make sure you reach out to your neighbors and start communicating because I think that is going to be uh, a really important aspect of, um, of our future utilities uh, when it comes to water. Well, you can check out the show notes for this session at thewatervalues.com forward slash pod 52. Leave a comment on the show notes or email me at david at thewatervalues.com. You can also tweet at me at DTM1993, and you can tweet about the podcast using the hashtag watervalues. And don't forget to rate and please review the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and other podcast directories. And please don't forget to tell your friends and colleagues about the podcast and to sign up for the Water Values newsletter, which can be done at thewatervalues.com. In closing, please remember to keep the core message of the Water Values podcast in mind as you go about your daily business. Water is our most valuable resource, so please join me by going out into the world and acting like it. Listening to the Water Values Podcast. Thank you for spending some of your day with my dad and me. Thank you for tuning into the disclaimer. I'm a lawyer licensed in Colorado and Indiana, and this podcast does not establish an attorney-client relationship with you or anyone else. And information in this podcast should not be considered legal advice. Further, this podcast is not a solicitation for professional employment. I'm just a lawyer who finds water issues interesting and who believes greater public education about water issues is necessary. And that includes enhancing my own education about water issues because no one knows everything about water. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.